you know, my eyesight's going bad. And as you guys know, I only have one eye. And the only way I can really teach now is to reverse my an iPad. You know, I'm totally stupid electronically. And God has thrust me into this because I have to invert the, the page so that everything is black and the letter is white. And the only way I can teach. And so, again, God, God's good. He takes care of it. The message that I'm going to have is the sufficiency of the old past. The text we're going to use is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Today there is um, more deception and heresy being taught over the American pulpit than um, at any other time. There's no solid teaching of the Word of God in great numbers. One of the leading spokesmen of the emergent church stated the new kind of church he was desiring to see in, in our world today. Listen to his own words, and I'm quoting. Quote, you see, if we have a new world, we will need a new church. We won't need a new religion, per se, but a new framework of our theology. Not a new spirit, but a new spirituality. Not a new Christ, but a new Christianity. Not a new denomination, but a new kind of church in every denomination. Brian McLaren. He's rewriting Christianity. And people say, oh, it's a great new revival. They're brain dead. What a serious contradiction to the word of God. There's only one church. One kind of Christian. One kind of framework. One kind of theology. One Bible. One nature of the church. Never, ever changes. The emergent church has been said to be like trying to nail jello on the wall. There's so much diversity. It's almost like AIDS. The reason we can't find a cure for AIDS is because it mutates so fast that every time it, it, it mutates, it changes. It can't replicate the same. There's errors. And so that's what happens in the emergent church. There's so many errors and different things. It keeps mutating in different ways. Now, the emergent church is just the latest postmodern. But, you know, we've gone through the children of God. We've gone through the positive confession. We've gone through the shepherding dog. We've gone through all kinds of stuff. And we've always stood against it as a Calvary Chapel movement. Now it's a little different. All right? But this is just the latest thing. If the Lord tarries, there'll be ten other things. But they're putting down in books now. Paul had given the Timothy two reasons for his ability to resist false doctrine and teaching. And to stand in sharp contrast to these false teachers. It's found in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 15. First, Timothy had Paul as a scriptural example. Verse 10 through 12. Secondly, Timothy had been raised in the scriptures. Verse 13 through 15. Two good reasons. Good examples and you've been raised in the word of God. Now, those are the old paths. Paul didn't say you need a new path, Timothy. But Paul gave to Timothy one last reason. That's our text. Why he was able to resist these false teachers. It was simply that he had all that he needed to be equipped through the scriptures. And it's evident by the threefold truths here that is found in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Listen carefully. All scripture is given 
by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here's the three truths. First, the scriptures are sourced in God. First part of 16. They're sourced in God. Second, the scriptures are sufficient for the life of God. The middle. The rest of 16. And then thirdly, the scriptures are the sole means of training for the man of God. Verse 17. Wow. The scriptures are sourced in God. Listen again. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. The number of books in the scripture are sourced. Listen. All. All the books that are sourced in God are all. The word scripture there uh, is usually preceded by the definite article. Except for two places. In John 19.37 and here in 2 Timothy 3.16. So the word scripture, graphi, it means uh, to, what, to write. Now we get graphite to, from our pencils. That means to write. And, the, and, and, uh, and here again, the word um, is found 51 times in the New Testament. It refers primarily to the Old Testament at this point as he's making a commentary because the New Testament is yet being compiled. But already in Second Peter 3.16, the scriptures of Paul were called Scripture and side by side. Okay, So the New and the Old are both inspired in Aaron and we'll see that as we move along. So he's not saying the New is not. It's just that while he's speaking about the new, it's being written and compiled. Now, the way the, the verse should be translated is debated by commentators. Some translate the word every scripture. Others translate it uh, all scripture. There is evidence within the scripture in the New Testament for both translations. The word every would certainly mean that all that is scripture, but it would equally imply that some were not given by God. That's the problem with that translation. The word all, on the other hand, removes the, that problem by declaring that all that is given by God is the word of God. It makes a big difference. Okay, That's why I'm, I don't go for a lot of modern translations, because it changes the grammar and the meaning you may like it a little better, but you've got to compare it to a good manuscript text. The Old King James or the New King James from the Textus Receptus. I don't like the RSV. That's from Westcott and Hort. I believe that's an inferior text. Okay? That's another argument altogether. But anyway. Now, the method for obtaining the scriptures to guarantee their source in God was the fact that they were given by the inspiration of God. Take note of that in the text. The phrase given by inspiration, theonustos, it means two words. Theo, God, uh, breathe, expire from God, and literally is conveying that scripture were inspired from God, describing the manner by which it was brought forth. God being the origin, the source of the scripture. The person's merely the vessel. You get a drink of water, you just drank some water. You were hot, did you thank the glass? Or the water. We get enamored with the vessel. We are just a vessel. These men were just vessels. The scriptures deal with revelation. The unveiling of the mind, the will, the purpose, and the plans of God. There's no other way we would know about them unless he revealed them. Paul declared Timothy had been raised from a child from the scriptures. Able to make him wise in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15. 
Not a part, not in Allah, not in Buddha, not in Krishna. Paul told the Romans that they had great advantage. The oracles of God were given to them in Romans 3 too. The oracles, the word of God. Paul gave, or God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel through Moses. The word of God. There are over 3,800 references in the Old Testament to phrases like, Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, the spirit of the Lord came. Take the book and eat. Open your mouth, I'll direct you, so on and so forth. Over and over and over again. Divine revelation. Paul places the Old Testament scripture with the words of Jesus and calls them scripture. 1 Timothy 5.18, Deuteronomy 25.4, Luke 10.7. Scripture. Equal level. The scriptures being inspired safeguard the recording of the revelation of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Peter assures that the pro- prophecies of scriptures of no human origin or impulse. The word translation interpretation is wrong. For no private interpretation, it doesn't mean that. It means of no private impulse or origin. In other words, they were not the source. The rest of the verse explains that. Peter also assures us that since prophecy never came of the will of man, all men were spoken by God as God carried them along by the Holy Spirit in verse 21. It did not originate or source in that person, but from the Spirit of God. The word carry there is the same word that carries the, the boat with the wind in the book of Acts when Paul's in it, literally. So it is God who is the source and the origin and men are simply the instruments. You know, I pick up a pen, a black pen, I write my name. I pick up a green pen, write my man. But I'm the one signing, not the pens. They're just the instruments, okay? Very important. Uh, not as robots dictating uh, following dictations, and not simply as merely free to vary from the revelation of God. How did God do that? I don't know. We'll ask him when we get there. But it's God's inerrant infallible. So these men were instruments of God who personally can be detected through their writings. You can tell the difference between Paul writing and Peter writing, James writing. The personalities you can see, but all the word is inspired. The scripture's infallible, and does not mislead in any way. It is sure, reliable, trustworthy. It guides in matter that is speaking about. You can trust it all together. The scriptures are inerrant. They are free from mistakes in the original autographs. We don't have any original autographs. All we have is copies of copies. But we have so many copies of copies that we know where there's slight mistakes of a letter or so on and so forth. You have a letter, you make an original, and you, and, you, and you keep a copy of it, and you mail out the original that you gave, and then the original is lost, and the guy says, I need that letter. Well, if, if, if you made 20 copies of that one that you had, and let's just say that um, as you're making copies, that copy machine runs out of ink, and some of the L's look like E's, and some of the T's look like their I's, or whatever it is, when you compare them all, because you know language and you know grammar, you can tell the obvious mistakes, right? It's simple. So the number of manuscripts, which we have over 5,000 manuscripts, okay? Now your footnotes on your Bible says this is not found in the best of manuscripts. It's talking about the Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, the dishonest footnotes. What it should tell you is it's not found in these two, which really are inferior, but it is found in 5,000 others. That's a better footnote. That's a truthful footnote. So even the the publishing houses are owned by secular world and they publish Christian material. Big problem, isn't there? 
fungus among us. Okay? Now, um, the amount of difference between the manuscript things, we don't want to get into that. The letter stuff like that is so minute, it never affects the sense or the meaning of the text. Now, so scripture is invaluable for the authority being the infallible, inerrant word of God. People say, isn't that redundant? No, it isn't. Because you can be infallible, but never inerrant. I can give you a test, you can pass it. You're infallible. You prove you're infallible. I give you a second test, you got a hundred. You prove you're infallible again. You, I keep giving you a test, pretty soon you're going to miss it. You're going to prove that though you were infallible ten times, you ultimately prove that you were inerrant. You err. You're not inerrant. Sooner or later you're going to fail. The word of God is infallible, inerrant. Absolutely perfect. It's not redundant. One um, day a Christian was um, witnessing to a friend about the Bible um, and how the person needed to believe the Bible and all that. I said, well, you know, the Bible, there's all kinds of mistakes and, you know, contradictions. And, and, and the guy didn't know what to say. Listen, when somebody tells you that, say, here, show me one. They're repeating it like a parrot. They've never read the Bible in their life. There is no mistake in this Bible. I'm the only mistake. The leading proponents of the emergent church denied the authority of Scripture and inspired revelation from uh, and by God, declaring it is inerrant, errant and infallible and not able to be understood. That's why they dialogue. They believe and touch and teach that man can not know absolute objective truth about God, about sin, about hell. Or heaven, yet God says that He has given us understanding and commands us to study and rightly divide the word of truth, first Corinthians two, nine through sixteen, second Timothy two fifteen. Now if I can't understand truth, then why would God tell me to study and why would God say He's gonna deal with me if I don't obey? If I obey, that means I, I automatically means that I can understand, right? So who's right? God or, or the emergent church? I'll go with God. The leading proponent of the emergent church, many of them, deny the atoning uh, work of Jesus Christ at the cross that reconciles man to God. They believe and teach that the atonement of Jesus on the cross is not vicarious for all sinners to forgive their sins, but that the life of Jesus is only an example to follow. Wow, that's a big difference. Are you kidding me? If, if he's not the empowerment and the sword, but merely an example, where am I going to get the ability? Duh. People are dumb. The leading proponents of the emergent church deny that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. Now, a lot of these things are subtle. They don't say it directly, but they say it in what they say. They believe and teach a person can have a God experience without being born again. Through contemplative prayer, labyrinths, prayer stations, mantras, contradicting the words of Jesus that he's the only way, the truth, and the life in John fourteen six. Now, who are you going to go with? Jesus or the merchant church? Contemplative prayers tapping into demons. Richard Foster, the golden guru, the mid-80s, celebration of discipline. I was at APU when this book came out. Insane. 
Listen to Brian McLaren. Again, I quote his own words. Quote, I must add, though that I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion, it may be advisable in many, not all, circumstances to help become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish context. I beg your pardon? So you can remain in the religion you are and just call yourself Christian. And that makes you Christian. Wow. Um, McLaren, Jesus. I don't know, that choice is hard. The leading proponents of the emergent church do not have, hold these non-negotiable doctrines as very the very word of God. Rob Bell says, quote, Our words aren't absolutes, only God is absolute, and God has no intention of sharing his absoluteness with anything. Sounds smart, doesn't he? Especially words people have come up with to talk about him. That's in his book, Velvet Elvis, page 23. They sound so smart. A lot of smart people in hell this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hell's full of them. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, Paul says, you welcome them, not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. First Thessalonians 2.13, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, different times in diverse manners, spoken times past through the fathers, has in these last days spoken to us through his dear son. Boom, period. Jesus is the only one. No one else. That's pretty narrow. That's right. The leading proponent of the emergent church proposed dialogue and conversation for their postmodern philosophy of deceit with new and catchy new age phrases rather than the objective truth of God's word and doctrine. Again, Brian McLaren said, quote, because he's one of the leading proponents. We are, immer listen to this, if you're from the 60s, the age of Aquarius, okay, listen, Mary Maku and the fifth dimension, here we go. By the way, she's saved, she's serving the Lord, that's great. Um, we're emerging into a new era of Christianity faith as a living color, global community, it is immediately clear that this kind of emergence must lead to a convergence, a kind of relationship that has never before existed. He's got that right. The quote is from my friend Roger's book, Faith Undone, chapter 2, page 224. We don't make these things up, ladies and gentlemen. This is their own words. Here's their phrases. A new reformation, but it's a new distortion. A vintage theology, but it's a vile philosophy. A new spiritual journey, but it's denying doctrinal absolutes for the journey. The emergent church thinks we are wasting our time with the second coming. There's... You're... you're, you're you're wasting your time with prophecy. Really. Roger in his book points out that over 400,000 churches have uh, now participated in Rick Warren's purpose uh, program 
um, quite obviously millions of Christians have bought into the idea uh, of the details of his sermons and they punch into it and they repeat it, regurgitate the next Sunday. Incredible. And according to Rick Warren, you're wasting your time studying prophecy in the second coming. Okay, once again, Jesus says, draw, you know, be ready for my coming. Your redemption draws near. And Rick Warren says, he's not coming. Who am I to believe? Wow. Peter puts it this way, knowing this at first, that the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of time. Uniformitarianism. The, the basis of evolution. For they will, they, for this, they willfully forget. Not forget, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the waters and in the waters. Second Peter 3, 3-5. When I was driving in this morning with Trudy, my wife, and we were listening to the uh, testimonies of the Holocaust and all that and these survivors and now they were sharing everything else and they would never let the world forget. Do you realize that people believe that the Holocaust never happened? The world is under great deception, both secular and spiritual. Both ways. Jude exposes them as liars and false teachers. Beloved, while I was yet with you diligently to write to you concerning the common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. The faith never changes. Theology never changes. God never changes. Man never changes. Sin never changes. Everything remains constant. The scriptures are sourced in God. All 66 books. Secondly, the scriptures are sufficient for the life of God. Listen to his words. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness. So the scriptures are of great value. The word uh, profitable means useful, advantageous, helpful. The word appears four times in this form, and Paul used it for a little um, benefit that bodily exercise gives to him in man in 1 Timothy 4, 5. So a little physical exercise, it helps you a little bit. Uh, Paul tells Titus that good works are useful to all men, the same word in Titus 3, 8. The scriptures are of such quality that would benefit man due to the fact that they are from God to guide and direct man in the things of God and man. You take away the Bible, the word of God, objective truth, propositional truth, and you move into subjectivism of today's amoral society, ecumenical, relative, Situational ethics, value clarification. You are dead. All the red and green lights have been made gray. You don't want to mistaken a red light for a green light when you go home today. You might not get home. The scriptures are of great value for doctrine notice. The daskalia, the act or manner of teaching, referring to content of truth for right learning. 
The word is key. It's found over and over and over again, about 15 times in the pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. The only three books we have that are written directly for church order. What's the key? Doctrine. What does it say today? Oh, let's not fight about doctrine. No, let's fight about doctrine. Love without doctrine becomes perverted. It doesn't take long for me to get funky. I'm a great sinner. I haven't forgotten. You want to go sin? I'm ready. I need the Spirit of God and the Word of God to reckon my old man dead. A total of 27 times. 27 times it appears in the pastoral epistles. The Bible alone can teach man the truth about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, anything about God. Only the word of God. Everything else is speculation. The law commanded the king to make a copy of the law, as you know, in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20, that he not exalt himself or deviate to the left or the right. He was to make a copy of it. You and I are commanded to study the word of God all the days of our life in order to profit and be blessed. Joshua 1, 8. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Just to mention some. You just stay away from the Word of God and you see what happens to you. It won't take long. Stop going to church. Stop praying. Stop hanging out with Christians. Let me tell you, it doesn't take long. Notice the scriptures are of great value for reproof also. The word reproof means conviction. Not only by the charge, but by the manifestation of truth of that charge. Whether acknowledged outwardly or guilt inwardly, it is a court term. I am to confront you whether you want to acknowledge it or not. I, my, my motive is love, to turn you, to correct you. Not because I exalt myself against you. Not because I, 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 I think that I'm better than you. The word appears only two times in this form. The other time is translated evidence in Hebrews 11.1. 1. The word is defined by Kittle in his dictionary like this. To show someone his or her sins and summon them to repentance. That's what you're to do towards me and I towards you. You as a parent, you see your child deviate and you say, Hey, get back in the yard. Do you care what your kid thinks about you? You want him in the stinking yard. Simple. The interesting thing is that the harder we try to convict people of their sin in our flesh, the more they rebel. I'm only a vessel. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts the heart of a man and a woman. I can convict no one. I can save no one. All I am is the instrument. I am to be a faithful messenger. The message is not mine. The authority has been vested to me. It's not mine. I'm only responsible for the proclamation. I am not responsible for your response. I'm only responsible for the proclamation of the message. Very important. The scriptures are of great value for correction. It says also notice made up of two words that appears uh, this time here epi which means upon or to make straight 
And the, and, and the scriptures are useful for restoring the individual in an upright position upon the straighten. An ortho, we get the word orthopedic doctor. He, he straightens legs and bones. That's the root. So the word of God straightens us up when we go crooked. We have a bent towards crookedness. You never have to teach your child to lie or steal. You have to teach him not to do that. Did you ever have to sit your child and say, Here, let me show you how to think dirty. No. That comes automatically. You know why? They're your children, just like you. The scriptures are useful for restoring the individual to an upright state, literally to stand up straight again. The word presupposes a failure or a deviation from God. But the Christian community acts like the Christian will never deviate, can never deviate, won't deviate. What are you smoking? Who are you hanging out with? The whole goal of God and the plan of salvation is restoration, not castigation. This is the motive behind any confrontation for an individual. Anybody who wants to confront simply to castigate is a fool. And needs to be filled with the love of God. This is the motive behind discipline and consequences. Open rebuke is better than love. Carefully conceal. Faith for the wounds of a friend. Deceive for the kisses of the enemy. You hang out with people who tell you what a great person you are. Go get some real friends. Simple. The scriptures, notice, are of great value for instruction in righteousness. Notice the adjective. Instruction means the whole training of a child in education to cultivate mind and morals to increase spiritual virtue, not so much by words as by deeds. Six times it appears in the New Testament as translated nurture in Ephesians 6, 4, chastening in Hebrews 12, 5, 7, 8, and 11, and translated instruction in 2 Timothy three sixteen. Instruction is qualified. Righteousness, that which is right and just. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God and the salvation of the Jew first and the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, quoting Habakkuk 2.4. That's why he's not ashamed. It's the power of God unto salvation. The conformity to a higher authority. The training in righteousness is opposite to lawlessness. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Matthew 4, 4. The Apostle Paul uses the word three times in the epistle. For following righteousness in 2 Timothy 2.22. For instruction in righteousness in 2 Timothy 3.16. And for a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. Those are all the good things of God. A.W. Tozer spoke as a prophet almost, now when you read his books. Uh, in his devotional, Renewed Day by Day, September 24th, he says the following quote, I observe with pain, amusement, 
how many water boys of the pulpit in their efforts to be prophets are standing up straight and tall and speaking out boldly in favor of ideas that have been previously fed into their minds by the psychiatrists, the sociologists, the novelists, the scientists, and the secular educators. A new decalogue has been adopted by the neo-Christian of our day, the first word of which reads, Thou shalt not disagree. In a new set of Beatitudes, too, which begins, Blessed are they that tolerate everything, for they shall not be made accountable for anything. Wow. Let me translate it to the present day. Political correctness. Wow. The emergent church is nothing but old liberalism from within the church. No different than the so-called neo-orthodox, which was uh, neither new nor orthodox, and it was introduced here by Fuller Cemetery down the road here. By Dr. Fuller's son, Daniel. The ecumenical church, the purpose-driven church, the word-faith movement also embrace much neo-orthodox teaching. Neo-orthodox is, was well-known in North America and is also known as crisis or dialectical theology in Europe. It came from the Germans. The founding father is considered by most to be Karl Barth, who attempted to set the gospel in a new language which could be understood by the contemporary society because of the old transmission of the gospel was inadequate. Isn't that what we're hearing today? That we can't understand the word of God? It's archaic. Rather taught, or, or Barth taught, universal election. And that the word of God only becomes the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit to each individual in a subjective way. Not objective truth, but subjective way. Emil Bruner may also be seen as a co-founder of the neo-orthodox theology. Other is Reinhold Niebuhr and Boltman, uh, Randolph Boltman. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by the way. Uh, Bart and Brunner believed God did not reveal himself through Scripture, but through experience with Scripture. So you always have to be careful. When anybody says Scripture plus, get rid of the plus. The ultimate revelation of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ, and the Bible is where Christ meets the reader. The Bible, then, is not the infallible or inerrant word of God, but an opportunity to meet the reader as he reads. So it's an experiential thing. It's almost existentialism. So these guys sound smart. Neo-Orthodox theology teaches that the Bible is not the Word of God and that it is a series of truth, verbal propositions to be believed. They reject it. Rather, it is an existential encounter with Jesus. There is no standard of truth, no absolutes. Does that sound familiar? Neo-Orthodox teaches universalism. And sees Jesus as God's divine messenger of love to the masses. Rejects the fall, following Pelagius. Demonstrating that people are not sinners when they are born, but become sinners when they sin. That is heresy. That little rug rat that came out of your womb, ladies, is a sinner. In the womb. In the first breakthrough he made. 
Baldwin was known for his demythologizing the Bible, where Barth was not necessarily interested in whether the scriptures is historically and scientific or accurate. So demythologizing the gospel is you take, remove all the, all the miracles, all the things you can't understand. What are you left with? Nothing. A good example to follow if you read Rob Bell's book, Velvet Elvis, repainting the Christian faith regarding the uh, birth of Jesus Christ. What if it wasn't virgin? What if we found out if he was uh, a human being? Would that change your faith? And he makes the same German argument of neo-orthodox. Neo, new, orthodox, straight. It's neither new, it's old, and it's not straight. It's crooked. Big words. New vocabulary. The devil is a subtle individual. He twists the word of God until it becomes false. The emergent church has made use of Karl Barth's view of scripture, the denial of the inerrancy because Barth did not hold to the Bible being equally inspired in all its parts. Dr. Walter Martin uh, put, the, put it this way. Some of you may remember Dr. Dr. Martin, Dr. Walter Martin, Chuck Smith, all Dave Hunt, all the big, big godly leaders of the church are gone now. There is a void and a vacuum, just like when Obama pulled out the United States armed forces from Iraq and Afghanistan. He left a hole for ISIS, and this is what's happened. Now, let me say that we're right on schedule. I just don't like the schedule. Okay? All right? God hasn't made a mistake, and he's not biting his nails. We're right on schedule. Barth denied verbal inspiration through the accepted plenary verbal in that the Bible is all inspired, but you have the right to let it speak to you, and whatever speaks to you becomes the Word of God. No, no, no. This is the Word of God. Whether I ever read it or believe it, it is the Word of God. There's a big difference. The neo-Orthodox doctrine of inspiration is summarized by saying that the Bible is the Word of God, but not the words, plural, of God. It is only when one reads the text that it becomes the Word of God to him or her. This view is a reaction to the modernist doctrine, which neo-Orthodox opponents argue eroded the value and the significance of Christian faith, and simultaneously a rejection of the idea of textual inerrancy. Both Karl Barth and Emmanuel uh, Brunner were primary advocates of this doctrine. That little book that I told you about that Paul Smith wrote, Pastor Chuck Smith's brother, the new uh, um, evangelicals, get it. It is, it, it'll tell you all about the Harry's, how it went down in Fuller Seminary and through the, through the fundamentalism and the postmodern, everything else. It's amazing. The result was that the, the, the denigrating of expository preaching, because in Karl Barth's view, what is more important than whatever is not is a written word. This is the emergent church, same thing. And so, what Satan is doing through these emergent deceivers is um, confusing the issues surrounding sola scriptura, scripture alone, the Reformation. And the doctrines of verbal inspiration and plenary inspiration of the Bible. Plenty verbal inspiration means every word, everything, big word, Okay. The problem which completely undermines Karl Barth's faulty view of inspiration as a valuable understanding of Scripture 
for the Christian is that he held the Bible to become the Word of God when you read it. That's absolutely wrong. It is the Word of God. The spiritual problem with the line of reasoning is that man's reasoning is corrupt by sin nature and cannot be trusted. You know that. As one has said, quote, Still, this is where the hollow man of emergent, like Rob Bell, Leonard Swede, go in order to continue to sow their postmodern confusion. Wow. I hope you believe the Word of God is the Word of God. I hope you're not being taken in by the deception. Do you believe this is the infallible Word and the Word of God? Do you believe this is the only authority for your life? Do you believe that it is over you? Then great. If not, you're on your way to hell. It's just that simple. The scriptures were, are still sufficient for the life of God then, right? The old paths are still good, right? I don't need a new path. Third and last. Notice here. The scriptures are the sole means of training with the man of God. This includes women. Okay? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. The person in mind is the man of God. The phrase is used in the Old Testament for kings and for priests. Moses is called a man of God. David is called a man of God. Timothy is called a man of God. He is called a man of God twice in 1 Timothy 6, 11. He is the only one who is called a man of God in the New Testament. Yet, there is a lot of men of God, but they're just not called men of God. Okay? There's a big difference. The phrase refers to the man who is identified with God. He is committed to obey the word of God. He is the mouthpiece of God. He lives the life of God. He's looking and depending on God. He is at times one who is commissioned by God. He is an average Christian who is growing in Christ. That's a man and a woman of God. The purpose is to prepare the man of God. Let's first look at what it means to be the work Complete. It does not mean perfect or sinless. You know that. It does not mean elite from all others or superior to another. Let's look at what it does mean. The word is used in arithmetic to signify the whole number to which nothing needs to be added to in order. To complete it. Appearing only here. In other words. You need not even. Point one. To complete it. You need nothing. You're complete. In Christ. And in the word. The word speaks of mutual and. Symmetrical adjustment. To all that goes. To make a man and a woman of God. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that if he wanted to be a man of God who was well developed and needed to be a man, he needed to be a man of the word of God. Now, why are we being told by the emergent postmodern that we don't need the word of God? We dialogue, we talk, we discuss, but we don't study. We can't understand. We can't be sure what it says. Really? Once again, do I believe Jesus or do I believe the emergent church? The man of God 
would also be thoroughly equipped by the very word of God. The phrase means to outfit, to be proficient, to be competent. Not only complete, but now the efficiency. The word is used of a wagon rest or rescue boat, which was completely fitted for the rescue. The word is used for a document completely outfitted, nothing lacking. It is used for the completion of a day. And the tense is the perfect tense suggesting an abiding condition. The Bible was not written in Spanish, English, or Latin, but Greek, the New Testament. Very precise grammar tenses. Very large. The double descriptive phrase in our text are not redundant, but give the text a greater force of importance and the sufficiency of the word to prepare the man of God. The context is heresy, Second Timothy, through false teachers who did not know the word of God and Timothy who knew the word of God in order to protect the gospel. Context, context, context. A text out of context is nothing but a pretext. The word of God is the same forever, does not change morally, ethically, or spiritually in truth. The word of God is the only thing that qualifies and equips a man or a woman for ministry, not experience, not education. I am not against education. Get all that you can. When you get it, get over it. If God has not called you and anointed you, all the education means nothing. In fact, you'll be more dangerous because God has not anointed you or sent you. And now you're dependent upon your brilliance and you will hurt the people of God. Timothy was more fortunate than most. He began as a child in the scriptures, verse 15. I wasn't raised from a child of the scriptures. I was 23 years old. What to God I would have been raised as a Christian. Notice the product of man. The man of God is good works. The quality of the work of God desires to manifest is good. Agathos, perfect and kind. That which produces pleasure and satisfaction. The word is key to the pastoral epistles. Probably about 15 times it appears. Combination of faith and works is not a contradiction, but a complement of the same truth. James says, faith without works is dead. James 2.17. The pastoral epistles focus on the work as a key to ministry, appearing 20 times. Jesus told the Pharisees, for which of these good works do you stone me? He was the model for good works. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians 2.10. And the word workmanship, there is poema, message. In other words, you are the closest and the clearest thing that people will ever read as the gospel. You are God's poem to the world. The poem is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The believer's good works are to be seen that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. Wow. Matthew five sixteen. 
We're gathered here today not to impress you. We're here together not to you for you to follow us. We're here to warn you about not following false teachers and false prophets and everybody else who's false and that you follow Jesus Christ and the scriptures. Oswald Chambers. I love that guy. Can't wait to meet him. Put it this way. Quote, you cannot do anything for your salvation, but you must do something to manifest it. You must work out what God has worked in. Are you working it out with your tongue, with your brain, with your nerves? If you are still in the same miserable cross patch, set on your own ways, then it is a lie to say that God has saved and sanctified you. God is the master engineer. He allows the difficulties to come in order to see if you can vault over them properly. By my God, have I leaped over a wall? He quotes, God will never shield you from any of the requirements of a son or a daughter of his. Peter says, quote, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are here to try you. Rise to the occasion. Do the thing. It does not matter how it hurts as long as it gives God the chance to manifest himself in your mortal flesh, he says. May God not find the wine in us anymore. But may he find us full of spiritual pluck and athleticism. Ready to face anything he brings. We have to exercise ourselves in order that the Son of God may be manifested in our mortal bodies. God never has museums. The only aim of the life is that the Son of God may be manifested and all dictation to God vanishes. Amen. Well said. This is not what the church wants to hear today. The church wants to hear how nice they are and how they've been victims and all this other trash. Let me tell you about yourself. You're rotten to the core. There is no hope in you. It's only the grace of God that has saved you and I. That is the club of Jesus. Okay? There's not going to be one good person in heaven. Just a bunch of sinners have repented. That's all it is. What we lack today is good, solid, expository teaching of God's word to escape the trickery of men. Ephesians 4.14 The church that teaches the word of God systematically through the Bible is rare. But if it does... It is a lighthouse to those that are perishing. You know, that lighthouse doesn't seem very significant in sunny days. In fact, it's kind of an eyesore in the middle of this beautiful beach. But when those storms come and those ships are out there, that light is the greatest hope they can ever see. You understand? Here's what's happening today. I've been your pastor for 36 years here. And I would not have believed what I have witnessed in the latter years. People who were raised in the church here, people who were servants in the church here, people who were leaders in the church here, 
who their children have gone wayward and their parents have followed them. That's a new one. Wow. They used to sit where you're sitting. How can a young man change his ways? By taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid my heart that I might not sin against you. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Psalm 119 verse 9, 11 and 66. Wow. Without God's word, none of us would be where we are or know what is right or wrong. We would just be comparing ourselves among ourselves so we'd be unwise. And of course, when I would compare myself, I try to pick the most rotten one of you so that way I'd look better. Right? See, we don't like, we don't really like to admit who we are. If I took a picture right now and I say, you know, after the conference, there's going to be pictures in the back and you're going to say, oh, that doesn't look like me. That's you, that's you, that's you. You think you look better. You don't, that's you. That's the way we are. This is the work of God. If it's the work of God, then the plumb line is the measure. It reveals everything that's in the disagreement with Him. So we drop the plumb line, we let the chips fall where it may. It applies to me as well as it does to you. It applies to my son, my daughter, to my granddaughters, to my grandsons, to everybody. I am never, ever to favor anybody at the expense of truth no matter how close they are to me. Wow. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119, 67. Wow. The standard of the world of right and wrong is subjective today. If we do not rely on God's word, we will be as wrong as all others. His word is a lamp to our feet, Psalm 119, 105. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your word, Psalm 119, verse 18. You know Psalm 119 is the longest one, right? It talks about one thing, only one thing, the word of God. The righteous disciplines of God is in view of eternity through present transformation and the benefits as we live in this life. This is my comfort and my affliction for your word has given me life. Psalm 119.50 Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Matthew 5.6 My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6 A seminary education does not qualify you for ministry, as I said earlier. If you're not called, anointed, or sent, you only become a detriment to the work of God. Man can ordain men into ministry, but they can never anoint a man for ministry. That comes from God. Paul puts it this way, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, I am speaking the truth in Christ, and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth, the word of God. Ministry cannot exist if a man does not know and believe all the word of God. For it reveals the will of God. So we're to study to show ourselves approved. 2 Timothy 2.15 Not to prove that the word is the word of God. But that the word of God that is perfect. Prove me. 
bad theology, creative programs, and activities that merely entertain or encourage people with um, social activities as the principles for ministry apart from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are a cancer to the church. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my Holy Spirit, says the Lord. To me, the choices are simple. It's A or B. A is God. B is apart from God. Apart from God, you've got zillions of choices. In Christ, you only have one choice. Are we clear on that? It's simple. So the scriptures are still the sole means of training for the man or woman of God. So I guess the old paths are still good. (laughs) The scriptures. Timothy had all he needed to be equipped through the scriptures. Due to these three truths. The scriptures are sourced in God. The scriptures are sufficient for the life of God. The scriptures are the sole means of the training for the man of God. Am I going to believe the Bible or the new movements? The revelation of God or the intellectual creativity of man? Those are the choices, ladies and gentlemen. And now we as a church, are starting to be pressured not only from within the church, but from legislation from without. In Canada, it's already there. Hate crimes. If the Lord tarries, I told you I don't smoke. Bring me a Starbucks at jail, okay? (laughs) Sooner or later, American pastors are going to go to jail. If the Lord tarries. Mark my words. But they've tried to silence the church for centuries. Hasn't happened, has it? They may kill me. But this church will always prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Lord, we just worship you. We just thank you. We're just in awe of you, Lord, and so humble that you would even care for us and die for us, Lord. And that you would give us the ability to have this passion for your word. And for you, we know it's you and no one else, Lord. Keep us on fire. Keep us open to your work, to your will. That's always focused on your word, Lord. I pray for every person that's here, over the internet, the radio, Lord, that you would minister to them. If there's anybody out there who doesn't know you, that, Lord, you would make yourself known about your love for them and how you died for them, that they would call on your name and be saved, Lord, that your desire is to forgive them of all their sins. And so, Lord, we commend them to you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us together. Lord, just charging us up and reminding us 
of the simple truth of your word, Lord. Sufficient for anything and everything in life and those things that you will allow. So, Lord, we thank you. I lift every person to you, Lord. And we ask all this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.